Well, praise God. Thank you all so much for having me uh, in your worship. It blessed me. Uh, can we give a shout out to the worship ministry up here? Bless me. Uh, you know, as Pastor Josh said, uh, I have been, uh, we've been friends for a long time. When we started being friends, neither one of us were married. Neither of us had uh, children. He did serve at the church, but we've been doing ministry together uh, for much longer than that. And y'all stole him from me, but I love you anyway. Um, they, uh, I'm going to give uh, two minutes on the and campaign, uh, and it's not going to come out of my preaching time. Uh, so... But they, I was asked to share about this. So really, the AND campaign, we started this campaign uh, because we wanted to aid uh, believers in urban settings particularly uh, to live their faith faithfully in civics and in politics, uh, which is not the easiest thing to do. Uh, urban Christians have a unique and powerful sociopolitical uh, sort of perspective that's not really represented fully by either side of the kind of uh, current ideological spectrum. Uh, it is a gospel-centered worldview that is completely committed to redemptive justice, uh, completely committed to biblical values, uh, and one must never be sacrificed for the other. That is why we call ourselves the AND campaign, the campaign for compassion and conviction, because we want to live both of those in our politics uh, and in our civics. Uh, so you can uh, go to andcampaign.org uh, and learn more about the AND campaign there, uh, or you can, uh, as Pastor Josh said, check out the Church Politics podcast. We're podcasting most weeks. Uh, Justin Gibney and I are podcasting, so check that out. Amen? Okay, uh, so I'll go on the clock now. I pastor a church, and they don't tell me how long to preach, so I'm going to try to get into this uh, today. Can we stand up? Do we do that, stand up and read the, the Bible? Uh, we're going to read uh, from uh, the prophet Micah in chapter 6. We'll read verses 6 through 8 uh, in Micah chapter 6. Uh, and we can read it all together because it's it's short. Again, uh, Read with me. I don't know how we do it here, but today, read with me. Micah 6, uh, 6 and 8. Uh, it says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? You, you, you got to read with me. It's, gonna be, it's on the screen. If you don't, I'm reading English Standard if you have your phone. Oh, and now it is. All right, all right. We, we got it. All right. Uh, if you got your phone, English Standard Version. Uh, we're going to start again. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed, told you, O oh man, what is good? We got to go to verse 8. There we go. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. 
Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to look into the word of life. I pray uh, just now, God, that you will hide your servant behind the shadow of your glory, uh, that you will speak directly to your people by your own power, for your own purpose. We give you thanks for it. We trust you for it, and we give you these next moments. We love you with everything we have, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said amen. And amen. Now, I'm, I'm going to take one moment out of my preaching time because, again, I don't know what, what is like here. But uh, I, I, I'm an AG pastor, uh, but I'm also trained in sort of a black preaching tradition. Uh, and so that requires some talk back. Uh, so if I say something that feels good to you, uh, go on and say something back to me. Amen? All right. So... Micah 6.8, we talked about it. I am involved uh, heavily in justice ministry and social impact ministry. And Micah 6.8 is like the official scripture of justice ministry and social impact ministry. It hangs on a plaque above the reading room in uh, the Library of Congress. It is uh, quoted often by uh, activists and politicians on uh, all sides of the aisle. It is the official Bible verse of justice ministry and social impact ministry, uh, and it should be. Uh, one theologian says that Micah 6 8 uh, is the finest summary of the content of practical religion found in the Old Testament. Uh, the AND campaign, we have a special designation for it. We call it the Great Requirement. But this official verse of justice ministry and social impact ministry uh, is often misused. Uh, is misused because it is snatched from its proper context and appropriated to whatever aim the user has at the moment. We don't try to submit to Micah 6.8. We try to send it out to do work for us. Are you with me by myself? Uh, you see, while we can draw some instruction from Micah verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 8, uh, about justice and about social impact ministry, uh, uh, Micah 6 is not a teaching. Uh, uh, when you look at Micah chapter 6 in its context, this is not a teaching, this is a prosecution. Uh, the prophet Micah is, is laying out the case against the people of Israel and the people of Judah uh, and making the case why they are under God's judgment. Micah dramatizes the crux of the argument against the Jews. Uh, in, in verse chapter 6, as prophets I want to do, uh, uh, verse 6 and 7, Micah dramatizes. He sort of takes on the voice of an archetypal worshiper. Uh, the, the average Joe in Israel and in Judah, he takes on their, their voice. And then in verse 8, he responds with the response of the prosecutor. In verses 6 and 7, this archetypal worshiper, this representative worshiper seemed to bring this innocent, if not longing, inquiry. What is right before God? How am I supposed to worship? The worshiper appears at first glance to have an honest spiritual desire. 
to bow before the Lord with a gift in his hand. But the prosecutor responds in verse 8 and exposes this representative worshiper. Verse 8 reveals that the worshiper of verses 6 and 7 is no worshiper of Yahweh at all. Uh, it reveals that, that the person in verses 6 and 7 is completely blind to the true character and nature of God. Verse 8 reveals that the reasoning of verses 6 and 7 is not spiritual but carnal. Verse 8 reveals that, that, that in the, the hearts of the people, they have transformed God's covenant of love into an onerous contract. Verse 8 reveals that instead of bringing hearts of repentance before the Lord, the worshiper in Israel and in Judah suggests that God, like man, can be bought off. The seeming willingness of the people to keep increasing the price of their worship first seems like a kind of generosity at heart, but verse 8 reveals that it's nothing but a veiled complaint against God that he requires too much. Shall I bring burnt offerings this Representative worshiper says, well, yeah, God requires burnt offerings of the people of God in the Old Testament. But then watch what he does. He says, shall I bring 10,000 rams? God never asked you for 10,000 rams. Shall I bring calves? The worshiper says, a year old. Calves? A year old? No, no, no. God asked for only one calf a year old only one time every year at the Passover and if your household is too small you can share a calf with your neighbor shall I bring tens of thousands of rivers of oil read the the book of the law it's, it's usually just a drop of oil on a sacrifice you 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 are not you're not calling out the, the real requirement of God you see, the case against the people of God in Micah's day is, I believe, the same case against the people of God in our day, especially when it comes to the pursuit of justice and social impact. The charge, beloved, is fakery. The charge is contrived piety. The charge is that rather than respond to a wonderful, worthy Lord with loving and obedient hearts and loving and obedient lives, we tend rather to distort his character because his holiness makes us feel sinful. We reject his truth because in the midst of our culture, it makes us feel uncomfortable. And then we turn and blame God for the disastrous results. I believe Paul is making uh, the same argument as Micah uh, some 750 years later when he writes a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. He says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Are you with me this morning or am I by myself? 
You see, verse 8 points out a simple truth that the blinded hearts of the people of God in Micah's day just cannot see. And here's the simple truth. God is good. God is good. And what he requires is only that which accrues to our good and to the good of the world around us. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly before your God. Now, if I had more time, I would go deep into these things, but I'll just touch really lightly. First, he says, you know, God requires that you act justly. At the broadest level, there's a sense in, in this statement that, that justice is ultimately uh, has in view the proper ordering of society. One writer says that justice is to rectify within history all the aspects and phases of human existence, the moral, the religious, the spiritual, the political, the social, the economic. Justice does not mean, hear me today, justice does not mean that everybody gets everything they want whenever they want it. That's not biblical justice. Justice means that everybody gets and everybody does as the Lord has demanded that we get and that we do. I think I'm within the the boundaries of my Bible when I suggest that, that, that God's justice would see folks get their needs met, but justice does not mean everybody gets whatever they want whenever they want it. It's important that we don't interpret the mandate for justice too broadly because you can't take every burden and make everything right for everybody everywhere in the world. You can't do that. I can't do that. We can't do that together. We got to hold off on that number because there's a a day when that God is going to crack the sky and he's going to reveal Christ. He's going to come back. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But before that, we can't take the burden of making everything right for everybody everywhere. But then you also can't interpret it too loosely either because the language here is not passive. We are called, beloved, to do all of the right, all of the justice that we possibly can do. God does not want you to fix everything, but God doesn't want you to walk past an opportunity to fix anything. He says, do justice, love mercy. There is here uh, this sense of a faithful covenant love among all mankind. It is the idea that anyone who is in a weakened position due to some misfortune or hardship should be delivered. Not reluctantly, but I have a spirit of generosity, grace, and compassion. Beloved, I have to say it because I believe that we see it in the text, food for the hungry, clothing for the naked, shelter for the homeless, Comfort for the lonely, encouragement for the downcast, education for the ignorant, jobs for the unemployed. These, beloved, must be on the agenda for the people of God. 
Now, there is legitimate debate to be had within our political system about how these things can be delivered, but these must be on the agenda. But I love it because Micah saves the best for last. This final righteous requirement of the law is the one in our day that tends most often to be distorted. It is the one that is most glaringly absent from the so-called justice movements of today. He says, walk humbly with your God. Now, I stand here, Josh, at a Bible university, and I confess that the Hebrew here is, is difficult. It carries with it this very packed idea, kind of obedience with humility, with fellowship with God. So rather than trying to give you a good definition, uh, I thought I'd give you a good example of what this means, walk humbly with your God. Uh, It is to do something that I've done uh, before in my life. I find that I'm getting to an age, Josh, where I'm not doing this uh, as much anymore. Some of y'all might do it soon. But it's like being a best man at a wedding. You see, When you are the best man at a wedding, there's a lot of stuff to do. But the measure of your doing of your stuff is not about how good you do your stuff. It is about how what you do impacts the groom. Listen, uh, 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 it's not not just did you throw a great party. It's did you throw a great party that the groom enjoys. Uh, You see, when you're the best man for a wedding, you can throw a great bachelor party uh, and fail because the groom didn't enjoy it. Somebody got to hear me today. Uh, It's not just about getting a car and giving the man a ride over to the church. It's about making sure that in the environment of the car, uh, there's something that can raise up his confidence and and settle his emotions and make him ready to do the life-changing thing that he's getting ready to do. You see, there are tasks for sure with being the best man at a wedding, but the essence of the role is not rooted in the task. The essence of the role is rooted in the relationship. The cardinal sin of being the best man, and it's something easy to fall into, the cardinal sin is to start thinking that all the activity is about you, not about him. And it's easy to fall into because folks are calling you. Folks are asking you questions. You making decisions and calling shots. And you say to this one, go. And he goes. And this one, come. And he comes. And, and mama is deferring to you. And all this environment is flowing to you. And it can begin to feel like it's about you. But it ain't about you. It's about the groom. You see, if you want to be a best man, the best man can never ask himself, what's in it for me? The only way you can be a good best man and still enjoy it is if you love the groom enough so that you can enjoy his enjoyment. His smile makes you smile. It's not what's in it for me because in the context of our relationship, you are what's in it for me. This call is to take meticulous care 
of this moral and vital relationship with the Lord is more than just obedience. Now, Josh didn't bring somebody here to tell y'all, don't be obedient to the Lord. But more important than obedience is the maintenance of a vital connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. To see that nothing ever interferes with that. In a real sense, this Old Testament prophecy of Micah prefigures the gospel reality that our relationship with the Lord is not rooted uh, uh, in in, in a kind of works-based righteousness. It is rooted in a covenant of love. We ain't trying to purchase righteousness with our offerings and prove our piety through our actions. We are not perfect. But what distinguishes our justice ministry, our social impact work from that of the world is that we are not out here trying to prove our worth. We're just pressing toward the mark of the high call, which is in Christ Jesus. I'm not trying to leave my mark on the world because I know with Isaiah that he has already written my name on the palm of his hand. See, beloved, in the final analysis, I, I, I'm, I'm done. See, Josh, I can do this. I, I, I'm in my seat. But Micah 6, Micah 6 is a prosecution. Lays out the case against the people of God. What I love about it is that Micah chapter 7 is a prophetic prediction. It looks forward to a time when God once again, use his chosen people as a beautiful display of his will and his character in the earth. In verse 7 of chapter 7, the prophet says this, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. You see, beloved, in the final analysis, the heart that sits behind any impact that we can have on our culture, it's not just simply a heart for the Lord. It's also a heart from the Lord. What Micah observes the prophet in in chapter 7 as he begins to close the book, he says, Here's the only solution we have. Some, some writers even say that, that Micah doesn't give prescription like the other prophets. You know, they say this is what's wrong and here's what you do. And some have written that Micah doesn't say here's what you do. But I believe Micah does say here's what you do. At least he says, here's what I'm going to do. As for me, I look to the Lord. I wait for the God of my salvation. As, as I move about the country and, and, and work in the city of Chicago and in that region trying to impact culture, trying to do justice and, and to love mercy, my real heart's cry is not that we can get more Democrats elected or more Republicans. My real heart's cry is not that we can have more food drives or more clothing drives. 
My real heart's cry is that more Christians will be like Micah. Look for God. Wait for him. Cry out to him that we can have the kind of heart that sits behind the impact. I believe that the doing of justice will figure itself out if we get our hearts right. I believe that the love of mercy will work itself out if our hearts are right. So I'm going to ask you for just a few minutes. I know folks got to do other things, but if we could just stand together for, for just a moment. And hear it from somebody who is, is not ignorant to politics. I'm all up in politics. I've run campaigns. I've run for Congress myself. I've managed campaigns, worked for government officials. This is, is real stuff. And I'm telling you that what we need is not a more gifted politician. What we need is not a, another organization. Thank God for gifted politicians and thank God for organizations that work in the civic space. They do a good thing. But what sits at the core of the rot in this culture is not enough people who will say with Micah, I'm going I'm to look for the Lord. I'm going to wait for the God of my salvation. God, we just take a moment. We look for you. We wait for you. God, because we know that what is wrong in our culture will not be impacted because of how smart we are or how much we cry over bad things or, or any of those things. God, it won't change unless you stir our hearts, unless you Send us out dripping with the grace of, of the Holy Ghost, Lord God, to, to solve problems, to win hearts, to, to, to do stuff for you. God, we ask you right now, will you visit our hearts? God of our salvation, we wait for you. Touch us. Touch North Central University. Touch President Hagan. Touch all of the, the staff and the administration and the, the, the teachers and professors. Touch the students and, 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 and touch, Lord God, all of the, the employees. Touch those who, who work with food and clean the floors. And Lord, touch everybody in this whole place, Lord God, that, that this whole place will be dripping with the Spirit of God, Lord. Lord, that, that, that there will be spiritual discernment, Lord God, that there will be a, a movement that's not rooted in a desire to prove something. Lord God, that goes hard for justice because we love Jesus and Jesus loves justice. That pursues holiness because we love Jesus and Jesus desires holiness. Lord God, make us know how it works. We can't know it without you. So God, we ask you to do it. Do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And like a good best man, we'll be so careful not to try to take the glory, but to constantly point people to you.
We love you and we give you praise forever in Jesus' name. Amen.